lovely little love, for God's sake. <laughs> We've just practiced this. Oh, the level of professionalism you've come to expect from our show. You can edit that out later. I can edit that out later. Comic books. An art form early alive. We can rebuild them. We have the technology. With digital downloads and bookstore penetration, which sounds a bit rude, we can make them better than they were before. Better. Stronger. audience and welcome to Hey Kids Comics, your weekly look at any comics that just may take our fancy. The premise is simple. Every week I, your co-host Andrew Leyland, will pick a comic related to a specific theme. Your other co-host, my son Michael Leyland. Say hello Michael. Hello. You didn't tread over my lines this week. I got it right. We're getting time. better and better. It's hard to believe this is only our third episode. We've made a trilogy. Yes. But are we like the original Star Wars trilogy or Lord of the Rings or Back to the Future? Or are we a crap trilogy, of which I can't think of one at the minute? There are a few. Which isn't... well, which one? I don't know. Okay. But the third one's always crap. Not always. Return of the King's not crap. Return of the Jedi's not crap. I quite like Return of the Jedi. Superman 3. Superman 3's fine. In small doses. Anyway, we've only just started. We're not one minute... 30 seconds into the episode and we're already on a tangent. Yes. You've got to wonder why I bother scripting anything. Anyway. That's going to be our drinking game, isn't it? Every time I say, anyway. We'll pick a comic of a similar theme and we will discuss. What makes us different from every other comics podcast I hear the listening audience ask? Well, I'll it's tell you. It's recorded You well, can't hear the audience. Okay, yes. But in my head I hear voices. Oh, we know. <laughs> Uh, well, I'm 30, <coughs> and Michael is 15, so we have wildly different takes on what a good comic is. Once again, many thanks to all the people who listen to the show. We'd love to get some email from you. I know we made a fundamental school by error on episode one, but somebody must listen to us waffle. We have 40 downloads. We do, and some of them are in China. And How cool's that? It is. Shiny. In Hong Kong. We'll have to learn some Chinese. I know some. Well, speak some. I know Ni Hao. What's that mean? It's hello. Oh, okay. And also, they say, have you eaten? Because one time there was a crop supply, so to make sure people were alright, they said, have you eaten? Okay. Ni hao, <laughs> if anyone from China happens to download this episode, or if the one that you downloaded put you off forever, then I've just wasted a couple of minutes of our time. Anyway. You learned something new, though. I did, I learned something new. I know Hong Kong Fat Chai as well. Mm-hmm. Which is Happy New Year. I know something else, but we are a clean podcast. Yes, we're a clean podcast, <laughs> so you're not going to say the other words that you know in Chinese. Um, we strive to bring you a professional-sounding podcast on a microscopic, microscopic budget. Like Evil Dead. Like Evil Dead. But, well, the musical interludes are professionally sounding. These two blokes who are just yabramarine kind of ruin it. Am I a bloke? Yes, you are a bloke. Not yet a full-fledged adult, but still a bloke. I imagine myself more as a, a dude. 
<laughs> the dude abides. I have to carry the news and it's like such a big hassle. All the young dudes. Uh, that was the joke. I see. <laughs> I have to explain the joke, yeah. thus rendering the joke not funny. Um, if you have to explain it, you've ruined it. You explained it, so you ruined my joke. I did. I'm very sorry about that. Anyway, we've done our DC Big Guns with our first two episodes. If you haven't heard them, go and find them. Episode two is up on the My Podcast page, which you can probably find where you found this one. But episode one is in events, because we considered it an event, didn't we? Well, not you messing up. No, there was nothing to do with me making an, an error when I was uploading that first podcast because I didn't the, know what I was doing. Yeah, I'm, I must have forgot when I fell off a chair. Yes. Yeah. Um, we're now turning our attention, however, to the House of Ideas, the other one of the big two Marvel comics. And we start with Spider-Man, the amazing, the fantastic, spectacular. There wasn't a fantastic Spider-Man, was there? No. There was an amazing Spider-Man. There was a spectacular Spider-Man. There was a friendly neighbourhood Spider-Man. There was a web of Spider-Man. Tangled web. There was a sensational Spider-Man. Peter Parker. There was a Marvel team-up. That one doesn't quite work. I was always more of a Marvel kid. Ha. I was a DC kid. Unclean. Would you consider yourself a DC kid? Yes. Why? I prefer DC. What, generally, or just Green Lantern? No, generally. Okay, fair enough. I raised you so wrong. I have failed as a parent. And yet, turn your head slightly and see our bookshelf, which is dominated by DC Comics. The trade paperbacks, uh, I will confess, are, and hard covers that we have on the bookshelf to my right, are primarily DC, aren't they? Yes. But that's mainly because I bought lots more single and individual issues Marvel as a kid, so I've not actually had to go back and buy lots of trade paperbacks of Marvel comics I never read. Okay. I have tons of Marvel comics. I have tons of Spider-Man comics on on its own. Um, uh, I I think it's all Spider-Man's fault, generally, that I'm a Marvel kid. Um, Normally... I would talk here about when I first met the character, uh, but I honestly can't remember a time when Spider-Man wasn't a part of my life. My nan tells me the story of me watching the 60s Spider-Man cartoons in my high chair, even though I was apparently scared of his mask. Ha. Yes, I was a... Girl. This is from the boy who was scared when David Banner turned into the Hulk. Shush. Dip, dip, dip. <laughs> uh, Spider-Man Comics Weekly, the British... Marvel UK reprint title was one of the first comics I ever had on order from our local news agents. And you still have some, I think. I think I've still got a couple, but I think I got rid of a lot of them okay. uh, when we had to make space last year, Shame. when we gutted the house to make you bedrooms. Damn you having to have somewhere to sleep. Well, you didn't make them, you moved a wall slightly. What's your first memory of Spider-Man, Michael? Probably you reading it to me. Ah, it's I was a good parent. And uh, you, I always had your annuals on my tiny little bookshelf. And so I read them, and somehow the night Gwen Stacy died was always my favourite, and I made Nan read it to me. Did you? Yeah. Well, even though you could read it yourself? Yeah. You still made somebody read it to you? Yeah. What did you like about the night Gwen Stacy died? I don't know. I found it cool that in a Marvel title they killed somebody off. Mm. Okay, fair enough. But even though you didn't know who she was? Yeah. And I have no experience of her? Nope. You just thought it was cool that they killed the poor innocent blonde girl? Yeah, because they hadn't done that before, really. Oh, well, how do you know if it's the first one you read? Because I've gone back and had a look and stuff. Uh, okay, well, at least I, I grew you up right mm. in that case. You grew me up. 
I grew you up, yes. I didn't teach you grammar or how to talk properly. I grew you up. <sighs> Quality. I found that because it was almost the Aerosmith version. Blur. Blur. There's anything wrong with Aerosmith. The but they're not the Ramones, are they? No. Yeah, not really. I get to go first again because I'm older and more experienced. Experienced is just another word for failure. Yes. Who taught you that pearl of wisdom? The Simpsons, I think. Uh, everything I need to know about <laughs> life I learned from The Simpsons. My choice this week is a two-part story. The first part is Amazing Spider-Man 231, cover dated August 1982. I was ten years old when I bought this from the newsagent when it first came out. It just dawns on me that there's no point in me coughing over my edge if I'm going to give out information like that. Yes. It's a bit stupid, really. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, it cost a massive 25 of your earth pence. How much? 25p. Not £2.99. No, 25 of the Queen's pennies. In America, that was 60 cents. Now, I have no idea what the rate of exchange was at that point, whether that was a fair and equitable rate of exchange or whether we got them a bit cheaper. I have absolutely no clue. How much would it be in Canada? Um, There isn't a Canadian price on this. No. No, there's an American price. There's a UK price back when they used to do that, but no, there is no Canadian price. Very, very strange indeed. Um, I remember finding a place that sold US comics around Spider-Man 222, and I'd (laughs) nag my parents to take me every month to check out new releases. Uh, I was still buying Marvel UK comics at the time, and I remember that the UK version edited out the splash page of this issue and compressed the first nine pages down to five but they used to do that a lot because the Marvel UK books were only 24 pages. Okay. And these are 22. So they had to cut quite a lot to fit in adverts and okay. covers and such. Um, I used to get 60p dinner money. Yeah. And I would buy a sausage roll for 19p. Okay. And a can of Coke for 20p, okay. leaving me with 20p a day. And at the end of the week, armed with, would that make a pound? Uh, I was never very good at maths. I would take my pound to a little news agent that I found in our town centre and I would buy myself four shiny comics of shininess. Ooh. Imagine my upset when comics went up to 30p. I could only buy three. 
Why 19, you sausage roll? Oh, why not 20? I don't know. I didn't I didn't invent Greg's prices. Or 15. It was even worse even. when the cans of pot went up to 25p. I suppose that's even and not 19. I know, but it still impacted on my comic buying. Shame. It is. It's very much shame. Means you have to buy more on eBay. What now? I have to buy more on eBay for the ones that I couldn't afford when I was ten. You seem to, and then you complain we don't have any money left. Shush, Penfold. Anyway, cover. What do you think of that cover? I I think it's cool. That's it. It's just cool. It is cool. I'm not going to disagree with you. It's a fantastic cover. Yeah. I think it's a magnificent cover. It's an Ed Hannigan piece with the Cobra attacking Spider-Man on a wall above New York. There's no recognisable buildings in the background, um, but there's a really cool moon being covered by um, the clouds, and the colouring really makes it pop. It looks like it's 3D, um, because there's lots of white on it, as if it's reflected from the full moon. The way it's lit is just brilliant. Ed Hannigan did some really good covers around this time period. I think mainly for Peter Parker, the spectacular Spider-Man, but it's still a, a great, great cover. The title is Caught in the Act. It's giggle. written by Roger Stern. Why is that a giggle? Caught in the Act. I don't get that. Okay. Okay. Are we moving on? Okay. Okay, because you're not going to explain it. No. Because you have to explain it. I'm, I'm too childish. It's not funny, as we've established. Caught in the Act, written by Roger Stern, with art by John Romita Jr. and Jim Mooney. Letters are by Joe <laughs> Rosen. Oh, shut up. Letters are by Joe Rosen, colours by Bob Sharon. It's edited by Tom DeFalco, and Jim Shooter was the editor-in-chief. No one seems to have nice things to say about Jim Shooter, but God damn if Marvel didn't make some good books when he was in charge. Didn't he make Superman? No, he created the Parasite. Oh, it was Joe Shuster, wasn't it? Very, very young guy. Not Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster right. created Superman, not Jim Shooter. <laughs> but there was a Superman connection there, so well done. Uh-huh. Well done, you. I like it. That wasn't patronising at all. No. No, not in any way. Uh, so the story begins, as Blow once said, in a police locker room where evidence is kept. After evading the police security, a supervillain named the Cobra drops down from the ceiling and pilfers a handful of gems. The police have procured after nabbing a jewel theft ring last week. Cobra nicks a handful and then slithers away back through the sewers. The Cobra reappears in a plush Central Park West apartment where he muses on his recent activities. A nifty little recap for those readers unaware of who the Cobra is. And, as a ten-year-old, I was one of those readers. As a 15-year-old, I am one of those readers. Well, did you not know who Cobra was when you read this? Was he the cure? Was he the cure? Oh, yes, <laughs> the, the, the terrible Sylvester Stallone film. Yeah. You're making obscure 80s references now that I don't get. It's your fault. Crime is, is a disease, and I'm the cure. And then he crashes into that dude's car whilst he's parking. It's a terrible film. I've not finished it. I wouldn't bother if I were you. I don't think you're missing out on anything. Uh, uh, the Cobra has been stealing evidence from evidence lockers rooms and living the high life. The scene switches to somebody definitely not living the high life, which is young Peter Parker, a.k.a. your friendly neighbourhood Spider-Man. Peter's apartment is squalid in comparison, and our man is busy making two Spidey suits replete with underarm webbing. Woohoo! Underarm webbing's back! Cool. Only I probably thought that was cool. Yeah, it's, it's cool. I think it's pretty cool. Does that mean you can glide? No, it's it's only, like, fabric-y, cottony stuff. I don't imagine it can make him glide. I wouldn't have thought. 
Spidey takes to the skies to test out his new outfits, but on the floor, a shadowy figure threatens to find that little nuisance and wring his neck. Meanwhile, at the Daily Bugle, Ned Leeds, Marla Madsen and Jonah Jameson are discussing the Brand Corporation, a corrupt organisation that no one has been able to pin anything on. Ned and Marla head out to meet with a snitch, Nose Norton, but Ned's wife, Betty Brandt Leeds, fears trouble, so she opens up, opens up, phones up her ex-boyfriend and person that she had an affair with before trying to get her marriage back on track, Peter Parker. I can't see Ned being too happy about this, to be honest, but we need to get Spider-Man involved in the plot somehow. Peter tells Betty she's worrying needlessly, but decides to check on Ned anyway, because he's obviously got far too much time on his hands, despite being in the lab in the middle of an experiment. Ned and Marla meet with Nose Norton, Ned Snitch, but the Cobra arrives at the bar to see Nose, and seeing him with Ned lends him to believe that he's selling him out. Simultaneously, the huge lumbering figure heads towards that part of town, as does our wall-crawling wonder. Mayhem will ensue. The Cobra interrupts Ned's meeting with Nose, but Spider-Man's Spider-Sense warns him of danger, and he interrupts the Cobra's meeting. Cobra tries to escape, but Spider-Man webs both ends of the alley and above the head, so Cobra can't. Trapped, the Cobra fires deadly missiles at Ned. They're blocked by Ned's tape recorder, and Nose and Cobra beat a hasty retreat back through the back door into Maxie's. Spidey stops him from attacking Nose, and makes pretty short work of him in a really fun three-page scene where Spidey mocks him mercilessly. The Cobra is no match for him, and after speaking to Ned, Spidey says he'll take Cobra to the nearest precinct house where Ned and Marla can press charges. On the way, however, Spidey is attacked by the corner of a building. Not by the corner of a building as he just happens to walk past, actually by the corner of a building, which is thrown at him. Spidey falls and, trying to protect Cobra, twists his ankle when he lands. The lumbering figure closes in, and it's revealed to be Mr. Hyde, out for vengeance on his longtime partner, the Cobra. To be continued. What did you think of that issue? I thought the Cobra was Mr. Hyde. Did you? Because at the beginning, when he comes back from stealing the evidence and goes into his suite, he has memories of Mr. Hyde or something. And so I thought he was. So you didn't read that as being him thinking about somebody completely different? No, I read it as him thinking about himself. Alright, okay, fair enough. Why maybe, would you think that? Maybe it's just me, though. That's probably just you. Probably. Given the whole point of the story revolves around a completely separate person called Mr. Hyde following another completely separate person called the Cobra. Well, Mr. Hyde was a split personality, so maybe Mr. Cobra and Mr. Hyde are the same person. Mm. I later discovered, through tracking back issues, that Cobra and Hyde were Daredevil bad guys, I want to say. I can't remember off the top of my head. I think they were more Daredevil bad guys than Spider-Man. Although, as of this issue, the Cobra had fought Spider-Man at least once before in an issue of Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man, written by Roger Stern. Um, what do you think of the issue as a whole? It was all right. It was it's, all right. Yeah, it's a Spider-Man comic. There's nothing too big in there. And it's, it's a fun nifty comic. It's great. I loved it. The top of page eight, the first panel, is brilliant. Magnifico. It's one of those multi-Spider-Man panels meant to show how fast Spider-Man can move. Um, Roger Stern was great at little touches like this. The underarm webbing and these panels are great throwbacks to the Ditko era. 
the Brand Corporation and Rocks and Oil were a subplot that ran through a number of Marvel's book at this time. Um, I always like these little crossovers, rather than big, epic, DC-type, let's-go-through-every-magazine-we-publish crossovers. Didn't Iron Man blow up Rocks and Oil? I think Iron Man did have something to do with Rocks and Oil. And Daredevil, or the Avengers, or Captain America, I forget which one, had something to do with Brand as well. Um, I liked it. It made the Marvel Universe feel like a real place. There's also a reference to Josie's Bar, which was a hangout of Turk. Was that, was that his name in Frank Miller's Daredevil run? Turk. Turk. Not read that. The informant that um, Daredevil would always go and lean on when he wanted something. Oh. Daredevil's version of Huggy Bar. Okay. Except he wasn't a pimp. <laughs> uh, love that Spidey traps the Cobra and then realises that he's trapped everybody. Um, I always like it when Spider-Man makes mistakes. It's one of those little things that help make him a relatable character. Um, he's really funny as well when he's beating up on Cobra. He's just not taking him seriously and just ripping the mick out of him with every available opportunity. This issue was the 20th anniversary of Spider-Man. Not the magazine The Amazing Spider-Man. That anniversary wouldn't be until Amazing Spider-Man 238, which they would celebrate not with a double-sized spectacular issue, as they would nowadays, but by introducing the Hobgoblin. Bullpin Bulletins this month has plugs for KZR 17, Peter Parker the Spectacular Spider-Man issue 69, Marvel Team at 120, What If 34, and Crazy 88. I read that. What, Crazy 88? No, the bullpen bulletins. Oh, did you? I didn't read it in the Batman one, but I read it this month. You actually read the bullpen bulletins in this issue. Yep. The Marvel team-up issue that it mentions in this, 120, is Spider-Man and Dominic Fortune, which was one of a run um, of brilliant books in Marvel team-up by J.M. DeMatteis and Kerry Gamble. Kerry Gamble's a severely underrated artist, and the stuff that they did in Marvel team-up was genius. You'll have to read that. I'll have to get them down for you, because they are quality. And Peter Parker, this month, um, was the return of Cloak and Dagger, who I still think would make a pretty decent TV show, Cloak and Dagger. But I think Luke Cage, Hero for Hire, would be a great TV show as well. Well, they are doing an alias, aren't they? Alias Jennifer Garner? No. Oh, the Bendis. Bendis, yes, because the dude who directed Twilight's doing it. Oh, well, I suppose that bodes well in some way. Any more comments? No. Nothing at all? Nope. Okie dokie. my next issue which is Amazing Spider-Man 232 cover dated September 1982 the cover is by Ramita Jr. and Al Milgram and shows Mr. Hyde undergoing a startling metamorphosis while stood on the spider signal it's a very Hulk-like cover it's effective um, nothing amazing really <laughs> uh, you see what I did there I didn't even know I'd done that <laughs> I-, I love those little corner boxes yeah. I love them because they were always, you probably don't know this, but when they were stacked on the shelves, that's how you could tell which issue it worked, because that's how they were stacked, like that. Okay. Doesn't really work on radio, that, does it? Nope. Me showing you that? Never mind. 
Um, the title, Hide in Plain Sight, again written by Roger Stern, pencils by John Jr., inks by Jim Mooney, letters by Diane Albers, colours by Bob Sharon, edits by Tom DeFalco, and chiefing by Jim Shooter. Whoa. Did the spider signal go? He still has the spider signal, doesn't he? Does it? I'm sure he uses it in the Roger Stern run. I don't know if he uses it... Has he used it recently? Has he used it in... Brand New Day, or... I'm not sure. Straczynski's run? I think Straczynski might have used it once. I don't know. I don't remember either. I've not got a clue about the spider signal. I always quite like the spider signal. There's some people who say it's just a rip-off of the bat signal, but I find it quite funny. Mm. Um, The issue picks up right where we left off, showing how brilliantly economical he can be with his storytelling. Stern recaps everything you need to know about last issue in one thought balloon. Hyde wants Cobra. Spidey doesn't want Hyde to have him. A pretty cool fight scene follows in which Spider-Man doesn't stop moving all the time taunting Mr. Hyde. In fact, most of this issue is just one big run and fight scene, um, somewhat similar to the Terminator, and yet it's never dull at all. Um, At the police precinct, Ned and Mal await for Spider, and Peter's rival bugle photographer Lance Bannon shows up. They wait a little when they hear a commotion outside. Hyde is still following Spidey, who is still clinging on to Cobra, but Spidey's had enough. Hyde is causing major property damage and he doesn't care who he hurts. Spidey decides to give Hyde what he wants and chucks Cobra at him. Hyde catches him, but Spider-Man has coated Cobra's helmet in webbing, giving Hyde more than he bargained for. The fight continues with Hyde pouring a water tower over Spider-Man. He ducks, but the water flow knocks Lance Bannon off a nearby rooftop, where he and Ned are taking photos. Spidey catches Bannon, who whines that Spidey could have at least saved his camera. Spidey webs up his mouth. Spider-Man goes looking for Cobra and Hyde, but as it's nearly five o'clock, he takes off as he has other business to attend to. Hyde watches him go, then finds out where Cobra lives. He knocks him out and heads to Cobra's apartment. Meantime, Peter heads to ESU to clean out his desk after quitting the TA program. He leaves quickly, missing the surprise party his friends have organised. Meanwhile, Hyde has arrived at Cobra's penthouse suite. He frees himself from Spidey's webbing after marvelling at how ingenious it is by pouring hydrochloric acid over his hand. He then starts to move in on Cobra. As if by magic, Spidey appears, having placed a spider tracer in Cobra's cloak. Spider-Man drives Hyde mad once again by taunting him and not giving him a chance to lay a finger on him. Spidey webs him up and flings him through multiple walls and finally to the floor outside, plummeting a number of stories. Hyde is finally out cold, and Spidey heads back upstairs just in time to stop Cobra from slithering away. Cobra gives himself up rather than engage in another fight, and Spidey swings into the night, wondering if he should just soak his foot. That was a good issue. It was. What did you think of it? It was a good issue. And the last panel, one of the last pages, there's arrows on the panels telling us how to read it. Is that something that you think is useful? No, I think no. it, you know, do they think that we're stupid and we can't read and it needs to point us in the right direction? No, I don't think that at all. But I do think that there are some panel layouts where you would need help with following the panels. Sometimes even long-time comics readers such as me still go to the wrong panel first and think, hey, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense, and then go back and read it properly. If you're thinking that at this point they were at least still trying to get new readers, as opposed to now, where they just seem to have given up. Um, they want you to be able to read it and enjoy it, and if they have okay. to put little arrows in, then I'm down with that. I don't mind that. 
Um, I thought the first ten pages of this were Spider-Man at his best. Running, ducking, diving, not letting his opponent lay a finger on him, and all the while trash-talking. Hyde deserves this more than most, because he really is an arrogant, pompous arse in this issue, isn't he? Yes. Hyde's destructive rampage would have been a lot more needlessly graphic nowadays as well. The first couple of pages were um, Spidey's running away from him. Um, He's thrown a huge block of wall onto some poor innocent taxi cab driver and it's missed him so he's still alive that person would die if it was today yeah he'd get crushed nowadays wouldn't he and yeah. there'd be a huge body count because obviously we can't have comics that don't have huge body counts anymore because it wouldn't be realistic not to have him throw something like that and somebody die love that Spidey's petty enough that he webs up Lance Bannon's mouth I thought he had that coming I th- and well, I had no idea who he was Lance Bannon is a bit of a jerk it has to be said. In all his other appearances, he's a bit of a bonehead. Okay. So, yes, he did have it coming. But I kind of doubt that Superman would have done that, really. Well, Superman doesn't have webs. No, but... And, well, Batman wouldn't have done it. Well, no. That's With some expanding mouth bat gas. Batman would just say, Go home, I have pictures of you cheating on your wife. What? <laughs> Because Batman's spy satellites are everywhere. Because <laughs> yeah. he spies on the Justice League when they're in the shower. <laughs> Especially Wonder Woman. He's a bad lad, isn't it's he? It's Tommy Monaghan, that. Yeah. Peter's quit being a teaching assistant because he doesn't have the right temperament for teaching. Somebody should have told Joe Michael Straczynski that, shouldn't they? Mm. Mm. Is that a bat camera? No. <laughs> I don't think Batman would be spying on us. Oh, okay. not really a lot happens in here when we're doing this. No. No. Uh, I always liked Peter's TA buddies. Marcy Kane, Roger Hotberg, Deborah Whitman, et al. were good new additions to the cast. It's a pity they didn't stick. Deborah Whitman suspects Peter of being Spider-Man, and she would finally crack up under the knowledge before Peter convinced her she was wrong. She left the book shortly thereafter, but returned during the Peter David Effenessum. You like that? Effenessum. A friendly neighbourhood Spider-Man run, having written a tell-all book about Peter after he outed himself during the Civil War. Hyde yelling, I'll kill you, at the bottom of page 18 is great. Um, It's not in a regular word balloon, and it shows just how annoyed he really is, which is what Spidey wants when he's taunting them. He wants them to get irritated. The final panel on page 22 has a wonderful caption box reminiscent of classic Lee Ditko. The Bullpen Bulletin's hype box plugs the Wolverine miniseries by Claremont and Miller that was the beginning of the end of my interest in that character and the adaptation of Blade Runner by Archie Goodwin and Al Williamson. I had the UK printing of that uh, and the art was gorgeous. There's also a comic book adaptation of Annie. Cool. How do you do a comic book adaptation of a musical? They did one for Nightmare Before Christmas. Did they? Yes. They did one for The Wizard of Oz. Yes. Would they not just have, like, the words from the lyrics? I don't know. And you just, just sing them yourself? Kind of put them in word balloons. Just like a lyric book? Well, in The Nightmare Before Christmas, they'd do, like, some lyrics there, and then you'd have a wee and an ooh and an ah. Really? Yeah. They actually have the lyrics in the... Is it a manga book? Yes. All oh, right. You I, bought it me on Christmas. Did I? Yes. I was too damn good to you. Too damn good. Yeah. Pity we can't interest your brother in reading anything, isn't it? Mm. He's read some Walking Dead. Yeah, I don't think he's terribly old enough for that. The letters page isn't at the end of the book, which was a practice that Marvel would do for a little while, but then would stop because it was very irritating. I like reading letters pages at the end. I don't. 
Any further comments on Amazing Spider-Man 232? I read the bullpen bulletins again. Good. And who's that dude in with the mutant powers? Bob Layton yes, was a artist and inker. He did Iron Man. Did he? He inked Iron Man over John Jr. When David Michelini was writing the book. Okay. The Demon in a Bottle. I read that. Yeah, you've read them. Yeah. Because you like Iron Man. I do. Well, you like Tony Stark. No, I like Iron Man. Fair enough. Okie doke, are we all finished with the Roger Stern genius? I think Roger Stern is easily one of my top five, maybe even top three, maybe even, if I'm pressed, top two Spider-Man writers ever. Okay. You have a list for favourite Spider-Man writers? Yes. I think I have two. Who are they? Straczynski would be one of them. (laughs) Sorry, I just got something stuck in my throat. I think Joe Kelly would be the other one. You... <laughs> no Lee, <laughs> no Stern, no. no Peter David, no, uh, no Jerry Conway, no. Sometimes I just despair. Did Todd McFarlane write issues? Yes, they were terrible. You ever read them? I read the Venom ones. Yeah, but he only did the art. David Michelini wrote them. Right. Okay. Do you want me to dig out the adjectiveless Spider-Man boot for you? Oh, thanks. So you can see how truly terrible Todd's writing was. No, I'm okay. Okay. His art was fine. Okay. The writing. Yeah. I have picked Amazing Spider-Man 50 or 491. Why did they have two numbers? Because they did that silly thing where they rebooted all the books back to number one in the hope that they would sell. And then loads of people complained. So for a short time they just put two numbers on the books. Which has made it really awkward for people trying to buy back issues. Because if you're trying to list that on eBay, do you bill it as issue 50 or issue 491? And if you think it's issue 50 and you think you're getting a good deal on Spider-Man No More and then that arrives in the post, mm. be a bit miffed, wouldn't you? Would you not class it as Spider-Man volume whatever 50? Yeah, it would be volume 2, issue 50. It or volume 1, issue 491. Yes, it changed when it hit 600 anyway. Bit silly. And it became 100. Okie dokie. Cover. It's a great cover. It is a very good cover. By Scott Campbell. But I have a bit of a problem with his work. Go on. Because his legs are always too bulky. If you do go by the thing that your your head should go into the body six times, then Spidey's head goes into that leg six times. Mm. I mean, you can always argue it's something to do with camera angles and stuff. It is a pretty good cover. Um, Like most of Marvel comics of this era, it doesn't actually tell you what's going on inside. But it would work wonderfully as a poster or a t-shirt, which I suppose is all they were bothered about at that point. Mm. And also another problem looking at it is his feet are pointed, they're just triangles. His feet, Spider-Man's feet, have always had a history of being slightly pointed. If you have a look on the cover of 231, which we just looked at, Ed Hannigan's got Spider-Man with pointy feet. Not as pointy as this. No, not as pointy as that, but Ditko used to do pointy feet as well, so I don't mind pointy feet. Just because Ditko did it. Just because Ditko did it. Simpsons did it! The title for this one... (laughs) The title for this one is Doomed Affairs. 
in the credits are jo- uh, J. Michael Stravinsky is the writer and John Romita Jr. again penciled this and uh, inked by Scott Hanna. Indeed. Mm-hmm. So, after a long separation period, Peter and Mary Jane are now reunited again in an airport because he went to LA to meet her and she went to New York to meet right. him. Right, something that confused me when I read this, what airport are they in? Something in between LA and New York. It doesn't say though, does it? No. All the way through this I was thinking, well, where have they met then? I need to know if they're in an airport. Oh, okay, fair enough. This story either works as a standalone or part of a series, depending on how you read it. Oh, well, we read it as a single issue. I read it as a long thing. Well, you can fill me in on some questions I will have later. Okay, then. Whilst talking about problems they have, Peter panics when he sees Doctor Doom being escorted by security guards. Suddenly, an anti-Doom terrorist... <laughs> Anti-Doom! <laughs> I was struggling for words. Is there an Uncle Doom? Where do you think Doctor Doom came from? Mummy Doom and Daddy Doom. <laughs> Mummy Doom and Daddy Doom fell in love. And they have little baby Dooms. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense, but it's making me laugh. I blame the beer. Okay. So the anti-Doom terrorist blows himself <laughs> up in an attempt to kill Doom. Uncle Doom sucks. <laughs> but... <laughs> He really knocks him unconscious. Doom, oh, that doom, is. Yeah. He, he kills himself. Uh, whilst helping people climb out of the rubble, Peter sees one of the injured people is Captain America. Cool. This being Steve Rogers and not Bucky Barnes. Good. An armoured terrorist flies through the roof and attacks Doctor Doom. But Spidey, now fully costumed, intercepts him. And one of the terrorists is about to shoot Spider when Captain America throws his mighty shield at him. When Captain America throws his mighty shield! All who oppose his mighty shield must shield. He must shield! Must shield! I don't think they were the words. No. Okay. We, we could do an acapella cover band, though. We could, but it wouldn't be a very successful one. <laughs> People bought William Shatner's albums. William Shatner's album has been, is very good. Have you heard his cover version of Common People? Yes. Isn't that not a work of genius? I like that one. It's, it's a work it's of genius. It's the only one I've heard, though, really. Is that, who's that with him? Is that Ben Folds? I don't know. I don't either. We would have to look that up. Yes. But do not diss the Shatner's singing performances. Okay. For that... Lucy in the sky. With well, alright, maybe Lucy in the sky with diamonds. <laughs> he was high. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> I do not wish to cast aspersions or say anything untoward <laughs> about Mr. Shatner's drug-induced state at that point. However... Um, I'm standing by has been being a work of genius. Okay. Anyway, we seem to have flown off on a Shatner-based tangent. Hmm. So, I forgot where I was up to. Yes, Captain America threw his mighty shield and the anti-terrorist shield. Yes. So he knocks the anti-terrorist out of the way. Uh, the anti-terrorist. An uncle terrorist. After the terrorist... <laughs> After the terrorist is taken care of, Spidey rejoins MJ, but Captain America fears there may be more terrorists on the way, and there's no way of getting the civilians out of this mysterious airport. Just as MJ and Spidey are about to have a heart-to-heart conversation, three more terrorists show up, each wearing an all-new shiny armour. Cool. Um, 
Spidey and Cap take one, out one each, but the last one fires a missile at the unconscious Doom. Spidey webs the missile and slings it out of a hole in the roof. Whoa, unintentionally hits two more terrorists. Ha ha! Because you didn't see that one coming. No. After finishing with the terrorists, Spidey returns to MJ, where they finally finish their conversation. In a, aww, hug it aww. out, tears moment. Um, Just what you want from a Spider-Man comic. Well, it's Straczynski. The two return to Cap nothing against Straczynski. No, I quite like it. I quite like his run on Spider-Man. Mm. It was different. The two return to Cap and Doom, uh, who has now regained his co- uh, consciousness. Doom leaves Cap and gives... Doom leaves and Cap gives Spidey words of wisdom. Peter and MJ walk arms around each other through a mountain forest, which is outside and not in the airport. No. No. But we still don't know where the airport was. Okay. So what did you think of this? What did I think of it? I thought it was very interesting to contrast John Remuter Jr.'s artwork here. Which was unintentional. I just chose that one. You just picked an issue at random and it happened to be Remuter Jr. Um, His art's changed a great deal. It is technically better than it was in 1982. But the noses on page one are very, very pointy. And Peter's neck looks really scrawny. And Peter's eyes on that last panel on page two look a bit off. Uh, and the art on page 19 where Peter and Mary Jane are hugging is really wonky. Um, but, you know, it's it doesn't suck. The lowercase lettering is a real pain to read. Uh, I'm not as down on Bill Jemis as a number of fans are, but changing all the lettering to lowercase was a terrible idea. You know, I didn't notice that. Did you not? No. But didn't you? this is when you came of age reading, though, wasn't it? The early 90s. Early to mid 90s. No, this was a... No, this is early to mid two thousand. Yeah, this was you were only born in nineteen ninety five. I only read this a couple. Very of impressive months ago. that you you grew up reading comics in the early nineties before you were born. Carl Reese did it. <laughs> yes, yes, he did. What did you think? Um, I liked it, and I thought it was excellent art by John Romita Jr. Better than the one from twenty odd years earlier. Yes. Really? Because the twenty one, the one from twenty odd years earlier, it looks like pretty much everything that was going on back then really to me okay whereas this is different because it's more cartoon his style has evolved you know I'm just going to take this moment to brag I've met John Romita Jr so have I yes he didn't do a sketch though no they cut the bloody line off right in front of us and he was only charging a fiver I was quite miffed about that got me amazing spider on a 600 sign though and my Eternals and my free comic book day Thor and Iron Man and Lots of other stuff. My ACDC Iron Man. Do you know it was only afterwards I realised that I picked up Dazzler number one for 50p at uh, that Hi, comic yeah, convention? Girl. Yes, and it was d- done by John Romita Jr. I should have gone to sign Dazzler number one. That would have been much more of a collector's <laughs> item than Amazing Spider Man 600. Well, yeah. It was only 50p, it was a jolly good read. For 50p. For 50p? I wouldn't yeah. have paid anymore. Oh, okay. Uh, I like the joke about Doom speaking in capitals. I. That was very funny. I'll mm-hmm. give you that. Um, I like how he sets off the metal detector later on. Well, he's dressed in metal. Well, which was another gag in The Matrix. Was it? Where it's like, please take all metal objects out of yourself. And then you open the coat up and you got machine guns and all sorts. Guns. Lots of guns. Um, and this story has Doom being all evil again. Instead of Doom crying, which he did back in the black issue. He's not really evil. No, he's a douche. He's just... I mean, would Doctor Doom be allowed in airports, given that he is a known terrorist? Well, he did mention that he was meant to be going through a 
separate um, secret bunker thing. Right. Not bunker. What do they call them? Fair enough. Yes. Yes, I do believe you are correct in that it does mention he has been diverted. Yes. Um, there's no recap, so we have no idea what Peter and MJ are talking about on Peach 2. I could tell you if you want. Please do. Um, before Straczynski's run started, Murray Jane had left. I don't know why, really. But she left to go off on a modelling career. Did she not blow up in an aeroplane? I don't know. And they thought she was dead. Or did she come back after that? No, she came back after that, didn't she? And then yeah. she went away again. And um, and Kevin Smith was supposed to write the book that brought them back. Okay. That's true. Okay. But given that Kevin Smith probably didn't even come out of the womb on time, that book never <laughs> happened. Okay. Um... Would have been better. I, I like Straczynski's one. I do. I don't. It would have been very different if Kevin Smith did do it. We'd still be waiting for the second issue. Yeah, and it would probably be all black and white on one set. <laughs> It'd be just Peter just hanging around <laughs> with Ariel's bomb talking <laughs> about Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. Find a dead guy in the toilet. Uh, brilliant. Um, and so Peter was a bit down for a bit, and he started teaching that thing. Midtown High. Yeah. And so he met MJ or something while she was over here, and they had problems about her putting up with the threat of Spider-Man. Peter just, he could end up dying at one point. And so they all got very upset and stuff. Alright, okay. I think I vaguely remember all of this. I vaguely remember. Uh, I read it a couple of months ago. Um, I think it's interesting to compare the difference in writing styles, um, which seems mainly to be that thought balloons have gone out of fashion and been replaced by captions. I prefer captions. Well, that's kind of like... Is Frank Miller to blame for captions, or is that Jeff Loeb? Probably both. You reckon? I like thought balloons. There's something uniquely comic book about thought balloons that you can't really do in other mediums. In books, you can get into a character's head, but it tends to be a break in the action. Comics can continue the action whilst the character is thinking, so a good writer doesn't have to stop the story to express a character's thoughts. Plus... One single thought balloon on the first page of Amazing Spider-Man 232 brought the reader up to date with what was happening. There's none of that in Amazing Spider-Man 491. So, I have read the issues before this and after this, obviously, because I have them in my collection. But, when you plucked this out to read for this cast, uh, I only read this one story. So, I, I didn't remember what they were talking about or who they were okay. talking to. You know, would a thought balloon have killed him? Just one thought balloon to tell me, bring me up to speed as a reader? Or do we not care about new readers anymore? It's Trzynski. Well, he, he's writing for the collection, isn't he? Mm. Which is always something that I bang on about a lot, but you it's know, true. I'm glaring at you, Earth One here, just because I don't like it. What Earth One? Superman. Oh, right. We're doing Superman our Trzynski graph and all thing, and I've just been glaring at Superman Earth One. I quite like Superman as well. I didn't. Okay. Since when were Crips on arms dealers? <laughs> well, you know. Um, I much prefer the Spider-Man of the Roger Stern story. who moves around so fast you can't lay a finger on him. Um, the funny robotic drone dudes in this get hold of him far too easily for my liking. Because they're anti-Doom. <laughs> and Uncle Doom. <laughs> MJ's line about never being introduced to Peter's friends is very funny. And the line about who was that masked man and MJ's retort was also very funny. But the last line about Lobster Man makes no sense. Oh, I can tell you who Lobster Man is. In the context of this. Well, I remembered after... I had to think about it. Right. Didn't MJ have a part in a film 
called Lobster Man? Yes. Was she the screaming girlfriend it, it type thing? It was pretty much Spider-Man. Yeah. Only he was a lobster. Yeah. So I re- did remember it. But again, within the confines of just reading this one comic, that joke made no sense. Okay, then. Just saying. It's better than Turtle Boy, I suppose. Uh, I suppose so, but Jimmy Olsen's always good value for money. Um, In most respects, this is a better package than the 1982 issues. Um, The book looks better, the art is technically more efficient, the writing is more realistic in terms of dialogue. Although I didn't think Roger Stern's dialogue was very comic booky and over the top, apart from Mr Hyde, and he was supposed to be, because he was, as we've pointed out, a pompous ass. Um, it's just not as good a read. There's not as much feeling of fun. I mean, I know the point of this story is Peter and MJ, and getting back together, but Spidey's not as funny in this, and there's no spideriness to the story. The Spider-Man stuff could have been by any hero, whereas the Roger Stern story was a Spider-Man story. I think at this point in the Spider-Man, though, they'd had enough with spiders. The whole point of Straczynski's run was he was a Spider-Man and was attacked by Spider-People and spider things. Yeah, all the Ezekiel yeah. totem stuff. I've only ever read that once. I need to read all that again as well. See, the trouble with doing this. You end up reading all this stuff again mm-hmm. and then you don't have time to read the stuff you want to read because you're doing stuff for this. I read Final Crisis again just for the last rise one and I found it so cruel because I'd read Animal Man after that. Is after the first time I read it, and then I just read the second volume of JLA, and it's like, hey, the anti-life equation, the uncle life equation, made a doomsday. <laughs> what do you view. think of Peter and Murray Jane being back together as of this issue? Oh, uh, <laughs> it didn't make much difference to me really, because I just picked him up, and it's like, whoa, when did she leave him? And given what's happened since, yeah, that they never got married. No, no. It didn't make... Mephisto did it. It didn't help with reading one moment in time before the Straczynski run, before that. No, well, one moment in time's not particularly good. Mm. Um, I don't really think Peter and MJ are the the one together, to be honest with you. I don't dislike Mary Jane at all. I like her a great deal. But I do think if you're going to have Peter and MJ be married, then Spider-Man should have stopped after the Clone Saga, with Peter and MJ living happily ever after and the boot rebooted. Ostrazinski should have been allowed to end his run as he wanted to do. How did he want to? Uh, he wanted, I believe I read an interview where he wanted to take it back to Amazing Spider-Man 99. And they would start again from there. So Gwen was still alive, Harry was still alive, oh, Norman okay. was still alive, and go as if issues 100 to 500 and whatever never happened. Right. But Tom Bravoot convinced Quizada that, um, well, Gwen should stay dead because there's more, but she's been dead for more years now, dead than she was alive, and it's only a very small number of people who want her back, and blah, 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 blah. Well, wasn't that what you said, that she should stay alive because bringing people back now is a bit poo? Well, it is, but I think I could have lived with that more than what we got. Okay. And I don't dislike Brand New Day. I quite like Brand New Day. Or, if we were to live in alternate reality, where John Boone's... John Boone? <laughs> John Byrne started the reboot in 1999 as he originally intended. We'd be in a vastly different world now in terms of Spider-Man boots. Was, why, what was this idea? He was going to have the shape of worlds show up Is after Peter's life. the monitor? We, I don't know, really. Is he the same thing? Anyway, Peter's life was going to slowly, slowly, slowly fall to bits until he was at his lowest ebb. And then the shape of worlds was going to show up and say, look, I can take it all back, but everything else will be changed. And he was going to take him back to being in high school. Mm -hmm. And then 
he said there will be no changing you can't change it back nobody will remember anything except you and then even your memories will fade and so they were going to have him wake up the next day at home as a 17 year old back living without me and start from there that sounds a lot like brand new day hmm only brand new day wants to have its cake and eat it because Marvel don't actually have the nerve to do that they don't have the nerve to write away 20 years of continuity Okay. Like, at least DC had the guts to do that when they did Man of Steel and yeah. rebooted Wonder Woman and all of that stuff. But Marvel don't have the guts to do it. So, okay. that, so they're doing this nebulous... Well, it all did happen. The only difference was Peter and Murray Jane didn't get married. And that's like bogus, that. If, you, if we go back in time and stop somebody from getting married, it will completely change their life. Not just that one thing. Well, I just think that's a bit bogus. Okay. Any final, 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 final thoughts on Spider-Man? Well, I can put the two issues, and the colouring's better. Well, the paper's better. Well, another thing is, because I thought Hellblazer was quite crap, because I liked it, but the colouring ruined it. But if you look at your choice, mm-hmm. it's one colour. He's hers, one shade of brown. His face is one shade of peach or whatever. His coat's one shade of green. But Captain America's made up of lights and blue blues and dark greens and stuff and mm. there's different tones and Mary Jane's co- her colour has shadings of red to it yeah well uh, printing's better now they've got digital colouring mm-hmm. they didn't have that back in 1982 they just had to work with pencils and crayons did they? no <laughs> they didn't colour comics with crayons <laughs> I could have done that that would have been very funny if they did though I would have I would have laughed quite heartily at that Okay, um, I could just do a Spider-Man podcast every week, to be honest with you. I love Spider-Man. What about me? Well, I'd like you to be a part of it. No, if, we, if we decide to go that route. Next week, unless you have something else to say. No, I'm okay. Okay. Next week, we're going to do Marvel's other big gun, like we did with Batman and Superman. But we can't decide. No, the problem is we can't actually agree on who the second most important character in the Marvel Universe is. I mean, there's arguments to be made for the X-Men and Wolverine or Fantastic Four or the Hulk. So what we're going to do is I'm going to pick a book of who I think it should be, Michael's going to pick a book of who he thinks it should be, and we'll go from there. So uh, if that's not a cliffhanger, well, it's not really up there with Captain Picard being turned into a Borg, is it? We'll see you next week. Bye! Bye! Hey Kids Comics is a The Devil Will Find Work for Idle Hands to Do production. All music used in the show is copyright by their respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. Michael and Andrew make no money from this. They do it simply for fun. And because they have too much spare time. Ah. The opinions of Michael and Andrew expressed in the show are the opinions of Michael and Andrew and nobody else. We can be emailed on heykidscomics at virginmedia.com and our website is www.heykidscomics.webspace.virginmedia.com You can friend us on Facebook by going to Hey Kids, all one name, comics, all one name. And now it's time to pick up our bottomless brown bag, don an ill-advised polyester shirt and beige bell-bottoms, and hitchhike down the loneliest road we can find, all the while trying to find a way to control the raging spirit that dwells within. You be good to yourself, my friends. Hey, kids.